Hello everyone. This is the commercial real estate investing from A to Z podcast. And I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips and tricks for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience. And my goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you're here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we shared part one of two of an interview with Ruben Tornberg. He helps startups find and lease office space. And we learned about what do startups look for when renting an office space. And we also learned how much all kinds of office spaces are renting for in major tech hubs. In this episode, we will continue learning with Ruben about what does a base year means in office leasing, what are specific things that startups want to negotiate on a lease, what happens when a startup goes out of business, we'll cover LOIs, TIs, or lease concessions, and we'll also cover what makes for a good office landlord. Here we go. For offices, is it typically triple net? No. So it's typically, that's industrial. It's typically what's called a full service lease, where you pay your rent and the landlord, it's pretty much an all-in rate. The landlord covers the utilities, the landlord covers the janitorial, and they cover the operating expenses and real estate taxes. But the way that works, and this is a little bit granular, is you get what's called a base year. So let's say we complete our lease in 2019, we do a three-year term, hypothetical. You get a base year of 2019. In your first year, you don't need to pay any real estate taxes or operating expenses. In the following year, you are responsible for paying your proportionate share of the increase in operating expenses and real estate taxes. So let's use round numbers. For example, let's say you occupy 10% of a building the operating expense in real estate taxes were $100 in 2019. They go up the next year to $200, so a $100 increase. So I'll need to pay my proportionate share of $100. So I would need to pay $10 in that instance. Got it. It's usually a nominal number, but as you do a long-term lease, seven to 10 years, and it's growing every year, that number can become significant. So a lot of companies will renegotiate their lease, do what's called an extension, or they'll expand and renegotiate the lease to get a brand new base year so that they don't have to incur those costs. Interesting. So that's not pre-negotiated? The original base year is pre-negotiated. Right. So your 2019 base year. But if you want to renegotiate your deal, that part is not. Who are you talking about? Who wants to renegotiate the startup? Or the, the startup landlord? would come to the landlord and say, hey, we would like to renegotiate even though they are already on the lease. They would already be on the lease. So they would want to renegotiate and say, hey, we will extend our lease and go for a longer term in exchange for a renewed base year. So a 2022 base year. Got it. And there will usually be other terms involved. You know, obviously the rent is a very important term. Um, the If you need any tenant improvements to the space, do they need to redo the carpets? Do they need to um, redo the flooring? Paint. Paint. Mm -hmm. Adding conference rooms, adding phone rooms, redoing the kitchen. Security deposit is something that's negotiated in advance. Usually when negotiating a lease, we'll try and get an option to renew, also called an extension option. 
that you'll have a right to exercise by a certain date, usually like 12 months or nine months before a lease ends. Sublease rights, free rent. So there are other terms that get negotiated at the beginning that also can be renegotiated when you're coming back to the landlord to extend your lease. But only when you're coming back. You cannot negotiate on year two out of a three-year lease, no. correct? Yeah, no. I just wanted to clarify that first. Yeah. Has it ever happened that a startup died and what happened to that contract? What are the re recourses for the landlord? They go into what's called default and they eventually end up needing to collect their money. The landlord does end up needing to collect it. The situation has come up numerous times and what we end up doing is we find a new tenant to sublease the space. Initially, we market it for sublease, but once you come to an agreement on terms, the landlord will say, okay, instead of subleasing from this company who has gone bankrupt, we'll rub up that lease and do a new direct deal with this new tenant. So we're able to bring a new tenant into the space and by doing that, cut our client out of any forward responsibility. What's the percentage of time that that, that has happened, more or less? One out of 50. Okay, so not so bad. So it's very, bad. very rare. Okay. Breaking your lease is rare. Subleasing your space is very common. Got it. Last year, over 50% of all our deals were subleases for our whole team. For the most part, because they expanded? Because they were expanding. Okay. In fact, almost every time. What are some specific things that startups want to negotiate in a lease that we haven't covered yet? Sure. So the few things that we've covered that are big are like the rent, the term, the free rent, and the tenant improvement allowance, and the security deposit. Things we haven't talked about before are, let's say a landlord is forcing us into a five-year deal, but we know we're not going to be able to make it for the full five years. So we can negotiate or try to negotiate a termination option where after three years, we can go up to the landlord and say, hey, we'd like to terminate this, no penalty or a very small penalty, like one or two months rent to get out of the way and you know, let you guys lease the space to a new tenant. Another one is having sublease rights. Generally, a landlord will give you the right to sublease, but any profit that you make on that sublease above what you paid needs to be split 50-50 between the tenant and the landlord. Okay. To try and not give tenants an incentive to just take space and then sublease it for a profit. Sure. When you are in rapid expansion mode and there's only so much availability in a certain building, which is very, very common in San Francisco, the vacancy is very, very low. We're at like 4% vacancy right now. Mm. We try to negotiate what's called a right of first refusal, where if, I've heard this in some of your other podcasts, where if space comes available in the building, the landlord is required to present it to you first. And you have the right to say, yes, we'll take this space, or no, we refuse, go offer it to somebody else. Expansion options, mm -hmm. similar. Space is coming available in the building. It's tagged at a, what's called a fair market value. You have the first option to say, hey, we want to take this at your fair market value rate. Where do you find the fair market value rate and who, who decides that who that's fair? Who determines it? <laughs> so it's determined by the landlord. It's on you whether to agree or Got to it. disagree. You don't have to accept the expansion option. You can say, no, we reject the expansion option, but we still would like to negotiate. Here are the terms at which we would like to lease. Okay. Now, that's a little bit more dangerous because in an expansion option, you can take it and it's yours. If you choose not to, they have the right to negotiate with all other parties. And in a market like San Francisco, where there's so much more demand than there is supply, 
you risk losing the space out to somebody else and you need to move very very quickly in order to secure the space talking about ti who pays for it in an office deal sure so it depends the tenant improvements what we call concessions tenant improvements and free rent are all a function of how much term you take so the longer term you do say you do five to seven years the more likely a landlord will be willing to give you a tenant improvement allowance it's mm -hmm. called or they will turnkey the space completely for you which means they'll build it out and just give it to you okay which is obviously ideal yeah in shorter lease situations like one to two years or a sublease the tenant is responsible for everything they usually don't get any free rent if they want to build anything it's on them they need to go get the permits they need to hire the contractor they need to go through the whole process we really advise our clients against doing their own work and going into construction because it's much more costly than you think specifically here in san francisco and in new york and it takes much longer than you mm -hmm. think you yeah, need to go permits. through the whole permit process oh, minimum three to four months oh always yeah. Yeah, from, that sounds from pretty start short. <laughs> yeah, minimum. Do your tenants typically prefer to get more TI and pay higher rent or vice versa? The answer is vice versa because, like we said, rent, it's not appreciating. So we always want to minimize rent and we always want to maximize our flexibility. So we always advise our clients to do a short-term deal, um, which is kind of against the ethos of brokers because you are paid based on the amount of term you take. It's $2 per square foot per year. So a five-year term, the commission will be higher than a three-year. But we advise shorter terms because it's better for our clients, and if you do good by your clients, you keep the business. Sure. They go for lower rent as opposed to more TI because we try to advise our clients against doing TI work until you surpass at least the 10,000 square foot threshold. It was gonna cost you a lot more than, than you want. It's gonna be really, really tedious. This is not your business. You need to run your business and you need to be in the space, usually within a certain time frame. And when you're doing construction, that is almost always like 90% of the time pushed out. Mm -hmm. So we really try and um, advise our clients against against TIs and try and find them the perfect space that they can plug in and play until they're large enough to design their own space and make what's perfect for them, like the Airbnbs and Bs and the drop boxes and the coin bases of the world. Does that mean that the landlords also prefer to give less TI? No, the landlord would probably prefer to give more TI and to get a higher rental face number because that will increase the value of their building. Now, also, they prefer to give a higher TI allowance because it gives you the ability to make that space, which is their space, gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And 95% of the time, the amount of TI they're going to give you is not as much as you need for your work. So you're usually going to come out of pocket, they call it, or spend your own money to help finish the job. So for them, it's a win-win. They're giving you the money to make their space perfect and they're getting a higher rent and they're getting more term out of it. They're always going to push you to do more TI which we can understand, but we prefer that our clients try to stay flexible and nimble and um, have the ability to move during periods of rapid growth. What makes a good landlord that you guys like to work with? A really great landlord will be responsive. Land really? Yeah. So let's, let's take one second here. Are they not responsive today and why? Sometimes they can tend to be a little bit unresponsive because a lot of the time they aren't based here in San Francisco. 
a lot of landlords here are mom and pop landlords who kind of own buildings but live elsewhere, do their own thing, have their own lives. Don't necessarily understand the process as well as someone who goes through it every day. Don't really have much regard for a tenant's timeline, specifically a startup, because generally startups come up to us and say, you know, Ruben, we need space tomorrow. We're <laughs> busting at the seams here. You, wow. need, you need to be in tomorrow. And we're kind of at the whim of a landlord who can take a day or a week to answer. So a good landlord is responsive. A good landlord understands the market, knows where rent should be, and is willing to work with brokers to get to the numbers that they need, whether it's conceding free rent, conceding TI, getting a better security deposit, allowing for pets, allowing for bikes. There's many nuances that landlords with experience are able to get through a whole lot quicker than landlords without. A good landlord also has an experienced and a great real estate attorney because they are very, very important and in the end are um, the end negotiators. They give you know the tenant and the landlord the final sign off. Is there an LOI that is also signed similar to retail and then sure. the lease and then how long do, do each take on average? These are great questions. So yes, initially you send an LOI or what's called a proposal that just says, hey, we want to lease space in your building. Here are the terms at which we want to lease it. That usually takes two to four weeks to negotiate. Once that's signed, it is non-binding, but it's a gesture of good faith that both sides will work exclusively with each other and they won't continue to tour or market or accept other proposals. Then the landlord drafts a lease or a sublease and real estate attorneys are hired on both sides. They need to review it. They go back and forth. Um, insurance brokers are also hired by the tenant to make sure that they have the proper insurance coverage, general liability coverage, commercial liability, etc. That process usually takes another two to four weeks. So now we're at four to eight weeks for the negotiation. And then generally, once a lease is signed, if you have negotiated well, you will give the tenant two weeks of early access to install FF&E, which stands for furniture, fixtures, and equipment, before they can occupy the space. So that right there is you know six to 10 weeks and then put another two to four weeks in the front for touring, finding spaces, running surveys. On the quick side, you know, you're looking at two to three months for a lease process. As you grow bigger and things get tighter and more competitive, we advise our clients to start looking like six to 12 months out. Wow. And once you're bigger, if you have a tenant improvement job or you need to redesign a space, that's another three to six months that you need to tack on. So that's why for the anything 20,000 square feet and up, we're reaching out to our clients 12 months in advance to kind of get started, begin the planning, run the financial analyses, run the headcount projections, things like that. I, I can see how much work you guys have <laughs> in your hands and how valuable your job is. Well, it's a huge decision. You know, this is probably your top three biggest costs for any company is real estate. And um, we need to earn our clients' trust in order to keep the business, in order to keep our business alive. So we take it really, really seriously. We, we really care. And um, we're going to do everything that it takes to, to make sure that our clients have great outcomes and, and are happy. I, I really appreciate that being on this side of the table. And it's very clear that you care a lot about <laughs> your customers and clients. And hopefully I can refer you to some people. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Anything else you'd like to cover? Only that I'm very, very excited and interested in the re retail investing slash investing world in general. It's a totally different world that um, even being in the real estate world for six years, we really don't get much exposure to, don't know much about. It's a commission-based business. So what we're earning is not anything that's appreciating. It's not 
it's not something that you can live off of in the future. So finding ways to take the money we earn and turn it into something that's that's tangible and that can last and help us through life is is something that I'm really passionate about. Fantastic. Yeah, very few real estate agents think about that. So great for you. How can our listeners find you? My email is ruben.torenberg at cbre.com. They can look me up on LinkedIn. My name is Ruben Torenberg, spelled like the sandwich, R-E-U-B-E-N. They can find me on Twitter. My handle is rtorenberg021. I'm very passionate about sports. <laughs> they can find me on Instagram, same handle. You can find me on Facebook, or you can come by the Salesforce Tower, 46th floor, and ask for Ruben Torenberg, and I would love to talk to you. It's a beautiful view. Ruben, thank you so much. Really valuable lessons, and I have a ton more questions for another podcast, which <laughs> I'll be reaching out to you soon. For sure. Thanks so much, Steph. It was a pleasure. I want to highlight that when Ruben tells me that he encourages his customers, his startups, to sign short leases, this dings his commission, meaning that he will make less money. And this little comment shows that he truly is world-class in his work, and it shows me that he has learned very well with his mentor. And his mentor, in case you missed that part, started working with Airbnb when they were just three people, just the founders. And she's still working with them. Now they have thousands of employees. And this goes to show that when you do the right thing for your customers, even though that may mean that you're making less money upfront by doing the right thing, they will stay with you for life. And this is something that I live by and I want to encourage each and every one of you to do the same. In today's world, your only option is to be world-class and give exceptional service. And those who do will win because not everyone is doing this. And lastly, I want to give a little shout out to a new review that we have on our podcast by Miss Sugarcane. I have no idea who you are and uh, you were kind enough to take the time to write us a review and I want to give you a gift that has been 20 years in the making. It's a five-page document with a checklist of things that you need to ask for when doing the due diligence before purchasing a property. And when I say it has been 20 years in the making, this means that it has been improved upon and added to over 20 years of purchasing commercial properties. And of course, I'll do the same for anyone else who has given a review. They were all my friends up until now. So dear friends, <laughs> please reach out to me and I will definitely share this document with you or anyone who gives us a review. You can reach out to me via LinkedIn and I will send you that document and I will put the link to my LinkedIn under notes as well as the blog post. Make sure to subscribe to our channel or share this with anyone who may find it helpful on their commercial real estate investing journey. I will see you next time.